Those of you that are not familiar with me, uh, let me introduce my methodology. I'm not a normal pastor. I'm not a normal preacher. Um, I get a little excited, but also I do things sometimes in a in kind of an unconventional manner. This is one of those Sundays, so I apologize if this is something that um, you're not used to. However, it's just the way that God downloads things to me. For instance, I'm preaching today the second part of a sermon that I started last Sunday. So uh, it, it's not as if you're not going to get anything out of this morning's message, but it was a sermon that was started last Sunday. I know most preachers would not preach uh, two Sundays in a row and preach the same sermon in two parts, but I, I'm, I'm not the normal uh, average preacher. I, I do things according to the way that I, I feel like it needs to be done. And last week's message would have been about three hours long if I would have tried to squeeze it all in. So you're getting part two of a sermon that I called Building Maintenance. The scripture this morning, the text, is going to come from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to use the same text that we used last Sunday. And building maintenance will become more apparent and and more evident what I'm talking about the longer uh, we look at this text. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The reason Paul is writing this letter, not 2 Corinthians, but this letter, the the purpose in this letter was that he had received a letter from the church telling him that some different teachers had came in. They were disputing Paul's apostolic anointing and his authority, and they were teaching things that was contrary to to what Paul had taught them. Paul wrote this letter in response to that letter. And he's trying to set the people of God straight because he is absent from them. He was their pastor. He planted the church. He began the church. He pastored the church. And now he's been gone for about 18 months. And he's not going to come back. So he is just trying to be the apostle of the house. He's trying to set things back in order the way they were before He left, and that's what we pick up here in chapter 3. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready. Hmm? For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And can I just stop right there and tell you as a minister of this gospel for 25 years... It might look easy from where you're sitting, but this is hard work. And I'm not saying that because I want your pity. I'm telling you that this comes with a sacrifice. 
Folks think they want to preach until this, they have to get up under the anointing to find out what it takes to bring a message forward. Because anybody can perform a speech, but it takes anointing to make a message happen. And that anointing comes at a cost. So Paul says here, he says, me and Apollos worked hard. This is hard work. And verse 9, he says, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. And here's where my message title came from. You are God's building. Because God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. I love that. Now others are building on it. And last week I told you, you know the foundation is good because the foundation is who? Jesus. And if the foundation is Jesus, we know the foundation is right. But it's what you build on top of the foundation that causes your problems. I told you last week that a house is never as perfect as the day you move into it. That's the best that place will ever be. The paint will never look that fresh again. The carpets will never be that clean again because you're going to have chair marks on the walls. You're going to have some cracks in the ceiling, some stains in the carpet. The counter's going to get some nicks from some knives. There's going to be some stuff happen. The day you move into a brand new built house, that's as good as it gets. And the day you got saved, that was as perfect as you was going to be because from that day forward, you start building on a perfect foundation. And some stuff you build with is good. We're going to find that out. Look what he says in verse 12. Or, I'm sorry, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Verse 12 tells you what's being built on top. Anyone who builds on that foundation can use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, straw. Yeah, so, so, so you start building on that perfect foundation and some of the stuff is good. And some of the stuff is less than good. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved. So we are not addressing salvation. This is not about whether you're saved or not. These people were saved. These were church folk. He says, you will be saved, but here's how you're going to get saved. Like someone barely escaping through a wall of flame. Does anybody in here really want to get to heaven that way? I do not want God to stand at the gate and say, man, you barely made it, didn't you? I mean, I used to do that my oldest daughter. She would have a curfew, and curfew was 11 o'clock. She'd come in at 10, 59, 58. I'd be standing by the door and say, you made it barely. Some of us going to get to heaven, and we're going to have our Father look at us and say, Whew, you barely made it. That's what he's saying here. He says, you're going to be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And he says in verse 16, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God lives in you? And God will destroy anyone who destroys the temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So he's talking to church folk, and he says to them, you might be church folk, but you ain't acting like it. I can't even talk to you like spiritual people. Did you hear what he said? Now again, he's not with them. He's no longer the pastor, but he used to be the pastor. And they sent him this letter asking him questions, and he has just given them a response to what they asked him. And he said, 
I still can't talk to you like you are spiritual saved people. Because you act like the world. That is proof and evidence that you can be in God's kingdom and still be living like heathens. And this, this is Paul giving them a rebuke because he says, safe folk aren't supposed to be controlled. Listen to what he says, by your sinful nature. He says you are the temple of God and the Holy Ghost lives inside of you. What he's telling them is you're supposed to at some point flip a switch. It's not about being saved. It's about what is leading your decisions. It's about what is predicting your attitudes. What are you following on the course of life? What kind of building materials are you using on this perfect foundation? You've got a perfect foundation. His name is Jesus. You've got a perfect spirit living inside of you. It's the Holy Ghost. The, the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive on the inside of you. So you've got all this perfect building blocks. What are you putting on top of it? And he says, you are acting like the world. You are quarreling and fighting and posting on Facebook. Oh, be careful, little fingers, what you type. <laughs> There's an old saying that um, better a man be quiet and never reveal that he's a fool than speak and let everybody know it. We can modernize that a bit now and say better a person never post on Facebook. And be a fool and quiet than to post it and reveal it to everybody. <laughs> I like that. You, you help me preach this. My first point is this. If we are the temples of God, then how? Then we should be able to look at the original plan that God had for us and find out how a temple is supposed to operate. Yes? So it, he told us you are the temple. He said you're a building. You're like a building. And if that's the case, then we should be able to look at the Old Testament where God had them build a physical temple. And we can learn from the physical temple the way God put the structure in order. There were things that priests had to do every day in the temple. There were things that had to be done seasonally in the temple. There were things that had to be done on high holidays in the temple. And we should be able to study those things if we are the temple of God. And we should be able to take those practices and apply them to our existence and say, I want to keep my temple proper. I want to build on that good foundation. Is there anybody with me this morning? Okay, so God gave instructions for the priest, and he said these things need to be done regularly. There was at least eight. Last week we did the first four. The first four that had to be done every day was he had to open the gates. He had to remove the ashes from the brass altar. He had to pour incense on the altar. And he had to replace the oil that burned up in the menorah. That was the four that we talked about last week. We're going to get the other four this week. Number five. There was the sacrifice of the lamb. Now we are not talking about the day of atonement. This was something that was done morning and evening every day in the temple. This is not the day of atonement where God would bring a, a, make them bring in a, a sacrifice for the atonement of sins. 
This was something that just cleansed the temple every morning and every evening. This was something that said, I'm not quite sure what has gone on inside here today, but whatever it is, I don't want it to make me sideways with God, so let me just do a cleanse. I don't know what might have happened last night, so just let me clean this thing out. So there was a sacrifice that, that was done every morning and every evening. Now, I I'm going to take you back to a story that you find in your Old Testament, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's a scripture and a passage that all of you know. It's about a little shepherd boy named David and a great big nine-and-a-half-foot giant named Goliath. Now, you know the story, right? You know how David fought Goliath when nobody else would. Saul, who was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in God's kingdom, refused to fight him. He hid from him. He was afraid of him. The armies of Israel, who was trained battle warriors, wouldn't fight him. They hid from him. They were afraid of him. David, who was a shepherd and a teenager, said to the king, Did you not hear what that giant said? I, there's a reason I'm saying this. The Bible tells you that Goliath came out and taunted Israel. How often? Twice a day. He did it in the morning and he did it in the evening. When did the sacrifice at the temple take place? In the morning and in the evening. When are you the most vulnerable to the enemy? Listen, the enemy came out and taunted them at their most vulnerable times. How many of you have ever had something go wrong first thing in the morning and it set the course for your whole day? And have you ever said, I would rather just go back to bed and start this whole... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because if you get off track first thing in the morning, it is hard to get that day right back on track, right? You need to start the day right. So the enemy loves to attack you when you are the most vulnerable. He comes in the morning to taunt. He comes in the evening after you have exhausted all of your energy. After you are tired, you have been beat down, you have been worn out. He comes in the evening and starts spreading his lies. You need to learn how to apply the blood in the morning and in the evening. You need to learn how to tell hell to shut up before it has a chance to embed its lies into your thought patterns because he comes when you are most vulnerable. You wake up in the morning and you are immediately planning the next 14 hours. You've got this thing to do and that thing to do and that needs to get done by then so I can pick the kid up by then and then get them to the field by that and I've got this and i got that and i got that. And the enemy comes in and starts getting you off track in the morning. Can I tell you it is worth the 15 minutes of sleep that you will sacrifice for you to get up a little bit earlier, take a deep breath, and begin to apply the blood to your day. Before you ever get started. Oh, y'all not going to help me in this church today, are you? Listen, listen. Before you get anything else done, you need to say, the blood of Jesus is against you, Satan. I don't want you to put a stumbling block in my way. I'm, gonna have, I'm not going to have any flat tires. I'm not going to have no dead batteries. I'm not going to hit traffic this morning. And even if I do, the Lord will show me a sideways exit to get off and get back because I am applying the blood to my life. My kids are not going to drive me crazy today. I put the blood over here. 
And before I go to bed at night, I roll over and I don't have a big spectacle of it. My wife don't even know I'm doing it, but I'm applying the blood. I'm saying, God, wherever my kids are tonight, put the blood over them. Where, over at your church. Make sure nobody's breaking in. Make sure no electrical fires break out. I plead the blood over that house. In this house, because my wife sleeps with a fan, and you would think we sleep at an airport, it is so loud. I wouldn't hear nothing if anything was going on in that house. God, I plead the blood over this house. I plead the blood over my heart that it'll keep beating, over the breath in my lungs that it'll keep I plead the blood over you. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. You need to do that in the morning. You need to learn how to do that in the evening. Now, remember, David came out and said, Did you not hear what that giant said to you? Why are y'all hiding from him? Is there not a cause? And the Bible says little David marched down into that valley to face Goliath when nobody else would fight him. And he took with him a sling and five smooth stones. And that seems crazy because Paul tried to, or Saul tried to give him a sword. Because when you're going to hand-to-hand combat with a warrior, you would think, let's use a sword. David took a sling. And yes, we know part of the reason he took it was because it was what he was familiar with. He could not use Saul's armor because he hadn't tried Saul's armor. And we know, but I was reading the Old Testament years ago and I came across a passage of scripture that reveals something else to me about David. Because David said this. He went into a valley and he did not go down there trepidatiously. He came into that valley looking to kill a giant. He had confidence. Have you ever noticed that how confident David was? Everybody else was afraid of Goliath, hiding from Goliath. And David walked into that valley completely confident that he was going to win. And, and, and I think that we can take a sp- spiritual concept and principle from this. Because when he went into that valley with those five smooth stones, I'm going to draw you back to Leviticus chapter 24. Now this, this is before David. But David must have known about this passage. Because the Bible says in Leviticus 24, verses 11 through 16, during the fight, the son of an Israelite woman blasphemed. Do you see that word? He blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was Shelameth, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the Lord's will in the manner should become clear to them. They don't know what to do with him. What was his crime? Say blasphemy. Uh, He blasphemed the name of the Lord. That's his crime. They don't know what to do with him. They're waiting on God to tell him. Verse 13, God tells them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. And tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. Then let the entire community stone him to death. Say to the people of Israel, those who curse the Lord will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord, any native-born Israelite or, 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 somebody say or, or foreigner, uh, he, was, he was Goliath of Gath. He was a foreigner. He was Goliath from another country. He was a foreigner. And any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Goliath 
was a giant, but he was also a blasphemer. And when David heard him blaspheme the name of the Lord, David knew one thing. He might be big, but that just means he's too big for this rock to miss. Because I don't have to have perfect aim because I am going down with the Lord on my side and He will aim my rock. That's why he had such confidence. He walked in and said, you come to me with a sword and a shield and a spear, but I come to you in what? The name of the Lord because he had heard the word that said if you blaspheme God, God, the blood of Jesus will fight your battles for you. You better believe it. You better believe it that the name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run into it and you're safe. He understood what everybody else forgot. It don't matter how big my enemy is. Because his battle ain't with me. David, a little 17-year-old shepherd boy said, I'm not even the one fighting you. I come at you in the name of the Lord. So that's why you need to learn how to apply this blood. Because when you put the blood, the enemy ain't fighting you anymore. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Do you remember in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, when they put the blood of an earthly lamb over the doorpost and on the lentils? The destroyer could not get into that house because the blood was applied. And some of y'all have forgot the principle that wherever the blood is, the destroyer can't come in and take yeah, so you need to every morning, apply the blood. Every evening, apply the blood. But you can't just plead it and then forget it. You need two things to apply the blood. You ready for this? Confession. That's the easy part. Saying, I plead the blood, is easy. But it also takes faith. Go over to the book of Revelation. I don't have time to take you there, but go over to the book of Revelation and you will see that they overcame that serpent, the devil, by the word of their... Okay, because that's easy. Saying it, that's easy. The word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. But it wasn't a lowercase l. It's the Lamb... Of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth. And his name is Jesus. And his blood protects you. But does it just protect you? Protects whatever you put it on. But you have to confess it and then you have to faith it. In other words, if you put, if you put the blood over your children, you got to quit being afraid. Because you can have faith or you can have fear, but you can't have both. So if you have really put your children under the blood, I will know it how you talk about them. 
Because if you continually talk about, well, I don't know what we're going to do with him, they just keep getting in trouble. They just keep going off the rails. You haven't applied the blood because the blood is more powerful than you. It's more powerful than court systems. It's more powerful than addiction. It's more powerful than heroin. It's more powerful than sexual perversion. And if you put them under the blood, you got to lead them under the blood and believe the blood to do what you can't do. But if you keep talking about it and keep rehearsing it, that's why you got to do this every morning and every, because you got to constantly be applying the blood, because if you don't, you'll forget that it's there. I hope you're getting this, because this is, this is good stuff. This, this will save you from losing your mind. The next thing they did, number six, they had to position the showbread. It's showbread, showbread, both ways is acceptable. There was a table in the temple called the table of showbread. And there was 12 loaves that every week the priest would bake fresh loaves and put them out there on the table. And nobody was allowed to eat them. Ain't that something? That's how I know they're Jewish and not Pentecostal. They wasn't Baptist either. Because I guarantee you put 12 of them Texas Roadhouse rolls out there and expect me to work in that temple all week. Any, does anything smell better than fresh break bread? I'd be in my office writing a sermon, be going, mouth start watering. And they want me to work here all week long with rolls out there that I can't touch. Mmm. But, but the Bible also says this, when you start studying uh, how the priest baked the bread, he would put frankincense in the bread. Nobody's eating it anyway, right? It's not allowed to be eaten. So uh, there, there was a time that David did it, but it was unlawful. That's a sermon for another time. But nobody's eating it. So the, the priest would put frankincense in it because frankincense would outlast the smell of fresh break, baked bread. Fresh baked bread smells good, but it only lasts for a little while, right? But frankincense would make the smell last longer. Mm -hmm. so, so somebody say, fresh bread. Mm -hmm. Now look at your neighbor and say, you probably need some fresh bread. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and what do I mean by that when I tell them that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He also is described in the book of John, chapter 1, as in the beginning was the, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus is the bread of life, but He's also the Word. So the Word is the bread. And frankincense is anointing. That's why you need Weekly anointed bread. Listen to me. That's why you can't afford to miss too much church. 
Because you need to be here to get a weekly dose of anointed. I, I don't know how other churches do it. I don't cast dispersions because it ain't none of my business. Well, I know faith churches and I know there's worship churches and I know there's family churches and I know there's all different kinds of churches. But we have always been and will always be, as long as I'm in this pulpit, a word-based church. Because I don't know what you need, but I know what has kept me. It's been a fresh anointed word. It saved my marriage. It saved my ministry. It saved my mind. It has been the thing that I have longed to and clung to when everything else fell apart. This word has held me and kept me and saved me. So, 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 so you need fresh bread. But not just bread. It better be anointed. And it needs to be fresh. I know people that just regurgitate their sermons every five years. God bless them. I can't do that. I've got to tell you what God's saying to you right now in the season that you are living in right now because you need fresh bread. Uh-huh. God sent manna fresh every morning. And if you tried to gather more than a day's supply, it would rot and worms would come up in it because God wanted you to get it every day. Except on the Sabbath, which would supernaturally last for two days. Because you know why? God knows you need weekly strength. God knows that you need nourishment from heaven every week. And that's why the devil's always trying to get you out of church. And once you're out for a week or two, it gets easier to stay out. Because the enemy gets your appetite after something else. As long as you come into a church like this, you got an appetite for the Word. And the Word is nourishing you. But when you lay out too long, your appetite starts to change. You ain't going to help me, but you know it's the truth. Your appetite starts changing for other elements. You start getting tasting for the things of the world, and you lose your appetite for the Word. That's why even when you don't feel like it, you got to get yourself to That's when you need to be in church the most is when you feel like being there the least. You don't believe me? Listen to what Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2 and 9. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering. Paul was, in, Paul was in prison, in chains. And he said, I'm suffering and I have been chained like a criminal. He got, he got arrested for preaching. He's in prison while he's writing this. Chained to a wall. But listen to what he says. I got put in here for preaching the word. I got put in here for giving a word. But the word can't be chained. You can chain up the preacher, but the word will keep preaching. Y'all not going to help me. You can chain up the voice, but the word can't be changed. That, that ought to apply to your life. This is why you need to replace your showbread because you need to come in and snatch every promise that you hear coming through this microphone. And you need to know what it means and how it applies to you because you need to realize, I might be in bondage to sickness. I might be in bondage to addiction. I might be in bondage to perversions, but the word is not bound. And if I can get a word, y'all not going to help me. That means, that means, that means if the word is coming out of sickness, if I'm holding on to the word, it's going to drag me out too. 
if, if I can grab a hold of a word that cannot be bound, the word is not bound by the same stuff I am. So I might be bound by discouragement. I might be bound by anxiety. I might be bound by depression, but the word is not bound. So if I hold fast to the word, the word is coming out. And the ones that refuse to shout right now, you, you don't want to shout because you like being there. Because it's amazing, but it's a harsh truth to face. Sometimes it's easier to stay in the funk than make the changes that we need to make to get out of it. Well, now that I made you mad, let's look at number seven. He also had to keep the fires burning. Remember now, there were... There were different things that had to happen. Different things had to be lit, right? Menorah had to be lit. The oil in the menorah had to be changed and it had to be lit. So there, were, there was fires, three of them. We told you last week, the greater fire, the lesser fire, and the small fire. There were three constant flames. One reason that they had three was so that in case one of them burned out, they always had a backup. So they could restart, rekindle, relight any flame that died down with one that they still had. Uh-huh. Now, now, the thing that I want to show you is you got to have wood to burn fires, at least in those days. They didn't have natural gas. They didn't have that fake fireplace that you got. When I was a little boy, I split wood. I hauled wood, I stacked wood, I carried wood, I lit wood, I smelled like burning wood. Now, we got a fake porcelain ceramic fireplace where we push a button and a flame shoots up. And we sit down in front of it like we are pioneers. And we, we feel like we have accomplished great things as our forefathers who forged their way through the Appalachian trails and made their log cabins out of the forests, we feel like we are in one with nature. We pushed a button and a flame shot up. We put our feet up and we make s'mores. And we say, man, we're roughing it tonight. But you had to have wood to keep the fire going. I looked it up many years ago. There were three primary woods that they used for these fires. One was from the fig tree. One was from nut trees. Think of almonds, like an almond tree. So there were fig trees, there were nut trees, and finally, olive trees. So three primary wood sources. Now what you need to know about all three of those are, those are woods that come from trees, and those trees are fruit-producing. I've been Pentecostal a long time. Most of my life, it's the only church experience I have. Now, I did backslide for several years. I was Pentecostal when I was a little boy. I backslid for many years, was out of church. But when I came back, I came back as a Pentecostal. So Pentecostal is really the only church I know. So I've been, I've been around Pentecostals my whole life. And there's a lot of folks who come to Pentecostal churches regularly on Sundays. And they try to have fire, but they don't bring any fruit with them. Oh, my whole amen committee just resigned right there on that one point. 
They come to Pentecost because it feels good. The heat of the fire feels nice. It's warm. It's inviting. But their problem is they're trying to burn and they don't have any fruit. And God has never been as interested in how long you lay in the floor in the Spirit as He is how you walk when you get back up on your feet. I have never encouraged anybody to jump high unless when their feet landed they was going to walk straight. Because having fire with no fruit isn't beneficial. God wants us to keep the fires burning. That's why there was three different fires, to make sure they never went out. There's always a backup. And can I tell somebody in this room, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I'm going to be doing a series where we're going to be talking about some of these things, but sometimes, sometimes you can't count on me to preach you happy. And sometimes you can't put on Elevation's playlist and make yourself feel better. Sometimes you've got to do like David and have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You, you, your, your, your prayer partner won't answer uh, when you text them and, and, and you're not going to find help nowhere else you can't turn on television and get the answer you need sometimes you've got to keep that fire burning on the inside of yourself because there is no other source that's going to feed you does anybody know what I'm talking about here finally number eight and this one's real simple every time the priest entered the temple he had to wash up Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through like 20, gives instructions to the priests to wash their hands and their feet before they offered sacrifice. Are you, are you tracking me? Wash up. What wash, wash yourself until you're clean. Do you remember 2020? There was a there was a virus going around. Does anybody remember that? I don't know how much you keep up with news. But do you remember when COVID first started? Before, before the masks, before social distancing, before anything shut down? Do you remember the first thing they told you to do? Wash your hands. But before, before any of the other craziness started, we can debate that until Jesus comes. Before anything else, they told you, wash your hands. Do it regularly. Do it often. Do it for 60 seconds, they said. And by the way, can I just go out on a limb here and say, that's never bad advice? Like washing your hands? I don't care how you feel about COVID, but that's just good advice all the time. Okay? And the reason I say that is because... They have done surveys on Americans. We're not talking about third world countries. We're not talking about places that don't have indoor plumbing. They did surveys in America and found out most Americans don't wash their hands long enough or often enough. And only 70% of you people, and I say you people because it ain't me, only 70% of you people don't wash your hands after you've used a public restroom. Have you ever been in a bathroom and heard somebody walk out without washing their hands? I have. I checked their shoes. Because when I get out there in that restaurant, 
I don't want to know anything about what's going on at that table. And if they're working in the back, I'm done. If they walked out of that bathroom and walked into the kitchen, give me my check. I'm finished. Wash your hands, people. <laughs> they tell us that we encounter 840,000 germs every 30 minutes. And you people ain't washing your hands. But even unhealthier than that is a Christian that ignores the ongoing spiritual washing that we need to do. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Now I'm going to take you on a journey. We're going to, we're going to land this, okay? Are you, are you still with me? Okay, so if you study in the Old Testament, you'll find out. What did, what did Paul tell us in the beginning? We are a building, but he also said we are a temple. So when you study the Old Testament, before the temple, Moses had a tabernacle. Both of them were buildings. Both of them dedicated to do two things. Present the people to God and present God to the people. Are you with me? Both of them symmetrically were different, but ritualistically and structurally pretty much the same. They all had the same, both the temple and the tabernacle had the same basic parts. Are you, are you tracking me? So in Moses' day, there was a tabernacle. In Solomon's day, there was a temple. And if we look at these two, it's not too hard to see the similarities of those two buildings and the way God built you. That's why he said you are the temple. Because the same thing that those temples had, those tabernacles had, God has also put those same elements in you. So, so the temple had three parts. Say three parts. Mm -hmm. So the temple had the, the outer court. Then the temple had the inner court. And then the temple had the holy of holies. Three parts. Say three parts. Mm -hmm. so, so if you're like the temple, you also have three parts. And you have an inner court, an outer court, and a holy of holies. If the Bible is true, somebody say yes. Okay, so the holy of holies is where the presence of God lives. It's where you encounter God in His glory. That's the holy of holies. The outer court, everybody had access to that. Even the non-Jews could get into the outer court. Gentiles, heathens, could come into the outer court. But the inner court, you had, to, you had to have special qualifications to get into the inner court. And that's when you had to start washing your hands. You had to offer sacrifices. And you had to be a certain person. And not just anybody had access to the inner court. Are you still tracking me? The outer court had gates. Gates were made to let stuff in and keep stuff out. That's what gates are for. The outer gate, the outer court had gates. Can I tell you that you have an outer court? And it also has gates. And I told you last week that it's your job to shut and open the gates, and you got to do that every morning, right? But you have flesh gates. Your outer court is your 
flesh. And that flesh has gates. Your flesh has gates. It lets stuff in. It lets stuff out. Your flesh is sensing all kinds of stuff right now. Some of you are sensing the perfume that the person at the end of your row is wearing. Or not wearing. Everybody trying to sneak a smell now. Is it me? Is it? Some, some of y'all are sensing with your ear gate the noises that your neighbor is making. They all right? Why are they grunting like that? Why is he breathing so heavy? Why is he sweating like that? Am I going to have to perform CPR on him? Your ear gate is picking up on, somebody hear me, some of your eye gates are wandering around right now when you should be looking at the scriptures and staying holy. You're looking at some sister up ahead of you saying, is that her real hair? That don't look right. That's your gates. That's your outer court. You got your gates open. And all this stuff's coming through the gates. Now hear me. Your inner court is your soul. So your outer court, we got people passing mints around. I love it. She's Somebody pull out deodorant and I'm going to die up here. <laughs> Somebody hand a mouthwash over saying, he's talking about you. Just, get, just take, a swig of, take a swig of that right now. I love it. My, my nose gate tells me that you could use this. You put right guard on this morning but forgot the left guard, so... Help me, Jesus. I'm totally in the flesh right now. There's no anointing on that at all. <laughs> okay, so your outer court, your outer court is your flesh. Your inner court is your soul. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. So the flesh is where the gates open and let things in. The soul is where you collect all the things that came in. Your flesh is the entryway. The soul is the collector of what you let in. Why are you telling us this, Pastor? Because your mind will collect things that are no longer real. Let me help you. When the incident is over, the mind still has leftover stuff and makes it real even though the season has died. I can insult you to your face. I can lie to you. I can scandalize your name. I can cuss you out. I can hurt your feelings. I can offend you. And then I can walk away. When I walked away, I took my presence with me. But my impact remains. Because what I said when I was in your presence has been collected in your mind. You need to get this. Because what happens when I die 
And what you collected is still real to you. Because I will never be in your life again, but you still remember everything you collected. Because your mind trapped what your ear gate heard and what I said lives on longer than my physical body does. Why is this important? Because that makes all the difference in the world for you to be the kind of person that says, I will forgive them when they apologize. What if they don't ever apologize? What if they go into the grave and never tell you they're sorry? You have empowered them, a dead person, to constitute whether you have a healthy soul or not. Because you are now collecting the hateful things they said to you instead of choosing to release it and let it go on your own and being healthy in your mind, your spirit, and your soul. Instead of choosing yourself to release it, you're holding them up to a standard that they will never ever get to meet. And you are giving them power to make you sick. So we need to take control over what we collect in our soul. When I came up in the church, all the preaching had to do with don't let it in, don't let it in, don't let it in. Don't go here, don't go there, don't do this, don't smoke that, don't drink that, don't talk to these people. Because the, all the preaching when I was little and when I was a young Christian was about don't let it in the gates, don't let it in the gates, don't let it in the gates. But my ministry has always been more about, oh, you already let it in? I guess we're going to have to deal with it. Because my ministry has just been full of people that's collectors. I never got them perfect saints that never let nothing in. I was always getting the collectors. You collected this addiction and that addiction and you collected that bad habit and you collected that memory and that trauma and that wound. Y'all going to help me? Hey, these are the people that have always been attracted to my ministry. So I've always had to preach to people that it's already in the gate. It's already in the soul. It's already been collected in the mind. We're going to have to learn how to deal with it and fix this mess that you have already created. So your flesh is the outer court and your soul is the inner court. And then you've got your spirit, which is the holy of holies. That's where the presence of God lives. And if you want to keep a proper temple, you have to start moving from natural light to spiritual light. Now, now, the reason I say that is because when you reach the holy of holies, the level of light is important. Track me. I'm trying not to get too thick to where I, I bog you down, but there's things you need to know. The Holy of Holies had no windows. When the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he would open the curtain, step inside the curtain, and close the curtain behind him. That curtain was 30 feet high. That curtain was as wide, as thick as a man's hand. And he would close it behind him, and there are no windows in there. The Bible says that he would take the blood of the Lamb and he would put it on the east side of the Ark of the Covenant, and that's when God's Shekinah glory would come in. How did he know where the ark was? There's no light in there. There's no menorah. There's no windows. There's no access to the outside world. How did he know what, which side was east? How could he see what he was doing? When I was a young Christian, I used to think that that, that, that 
cloth was so thick because it was supposed to keep people out. Because if you weren't worthy to be in the presence of God, they would drag your dead carcass out because you could not come into God's presence and not be worthy. You would die instantly. And I thought when I was a young Christian that the reason it was so thick was to keep people out. But I changed my mind after getting to know God because I realized now it had nothing to do with who was out there. It had everything to do with who was inside. Because His, his radiance is so powerful that most people can't handle His presence. Oh, we sing songs like we want Him to come into the room. We talk about wanting His presence. But once we get in behind that veil and we realize how bright it is, how revealing it is, y'all not going to help me, but when you have a lot of stuff that you have hidden in the dark and the light gets shining on it, it makes you feel dirty, it makes you feel guilty, it makes you feel shameful, and a lot of folk don't want to deal with that. So they always stay to the outside where they are more comfortable so they don't have to deal with the light that goes on on the inside. Uh-huh. It's quiet in this sanctuary now. Honey, when you get in there, you see by the light of the Lamb. And everything is revealed. Uh-huh. Now, let me, I'm going to get, uh, Paul Marino, you're young and spry. Come help me. Now, I want you to stand right here in the middle and face the people. I need a couple more young. Uh, Joe, Joe Crusoe, you're... You're strong. Now, I want you to stand on this side of Paul, but I want you to face him instead of the crowd, okay? And uh, Brad, come help me. You're going to do the same thing, but on this side. You're going to face Paul. There we are. There we are. Move a little bit closer, fellas. Move a little bit closer like you like each other. All right. Now, you got to be imaginative with me, okay? You, you are the, the outer court. You're the inner court. You, lucky you, you the holy of holies. When you get home, faith should just uh, fall out in the spirit because of the anointing that you bring into that house. So you're the outer court. You're the inner court. You're the Holy of Holies, which means translated into this temple, you're the flesh. You're the mind, body, and soul, will, and emotions. You are the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that makes us the temple of God. Between you and Him, there's a veil of flesh. So when you come into the sanctuary on a Sunday and everybody is praising God and everybody's worshiping God and you don't feel like raising your arms, if you live out here, if this is where you are every Sunday, if you never pierce this veil and get into the brain, matter, the, the emotions, the will, if you don't ever pierce this veil, you won't understand the value of worship. You won't ever receive the benefits of the Word. You're sitting in the same building as other folks that are getting their miracle and receiving their breakthrough, but you're not getting a thing because you've got a veil between where you are and where you need to, the Word to penetrate to. You've got to get rid of this. You have to pierce 
this. You have to eliminate this so that your mind can be renewed by what you are experiencing. See, some of us live here, and we want God to perform miracles. We want God to cure cancer. We want God to fix our marriage. We want God to give us miracles, signs, and wonders. But we're out here, and we never give this veil what it deserves, which is a tearing away, a disappearing, so that this can start commanding this. See, the mind needs to tell the flesh, you came to church to get something. You need to raise your hands. You need to pay attention. The mind needs, because the orders come from the inside The orders come from the inside out. So the mind needs that gone so you can instruct. You need to raise your hands. You need to let them tears go. You need to hear what this man of God is saying. You need to sing these songs and not just sing them but let them penetrate because the mind needs to control what this flesh wants to do because this flesh don't want to pray. It don't want to read. It don't want to worship. It don't even want to sit there. I've been preaching now for, oh my goodness, 56 minutes and 41 seconds. Are you kidding me? Your flesh wanted to get up 30 minutes ago. Your mind has to tell your flesh, sit down, shut up. We came here to get something, and we ain't got it yet. However, there's still another veil, and you're only going to get so close. You're only going to get so close depending on your mind, your will, and your emotions to drag your dead carcass of a flesh into the presence of God. You're only going to get so close because what happens over here? This is where there is no external light. I just told you, this is where there is no menorah. There are no windows. The only light that goes on on the inside of here is the light of the Shekinah glory of God. When you get in here, the Holy of Holies, when what you need penetrates this veil and reveals what's in here to not only Him, but to Him, this is where, listen, out here is where prayers are needed. In here is where prayers get answered. Out here is where worship happens. In here is where worship makes a difference. Y'all not hearing me. Out here in this realm, this is where you get desperate. But once you pierce this veil and come into his presence, that's when desperation becomes reality and God shows up and does what only God can do. But you've got to be willing to take this and this behind that veil and say, no matter what I see, no matter what you show me back here, God, no matter what that light reveals to me, I want it. If you tell me that person's not supposed to be in my story, I want you more than I want that relationship. If you tell me that that, uh, that that habit has come between you and me, and that's why that veil is there, I want you more than I want that habit. If you tell me that I need to do more, I need to serve more, I need to worship more, I need to come to church more, I need to uh, have daily devotions more, if that's what that reveals to me, then I want that because, God, whatever's back there, I know I need what's back there. And I hate to say it, but I've been pastoring a long time. I've met a lot of folks that live out here. And sometimes they'll bounce back and forth. They'll get devoted for a little while. They're, they'll get their mind in a place where they really need God. And they follow their mind to church. 
But then they're back out in the world again. And they're playing spiritual hokey pokey. I put my whole self in. I take my whole self out. I take my whole self in because we're Pentecostal. We shake it all about. But then we're right back out again because we don't pierce this veil and get into His glory. But we never realize that I'm praying prayers here. I'm getting answers here. This is where I need to be. Thank you, brothers. Thank you very much. So the orders come from the inside out. And I just wonder if there's anybody in this room. I'm not going to drag this out. I realize just now that I've been preaching an hour. I'm not going to drag this out. But is there anybody that knows that they know that they know? And this is going to be bold. You've got to be honest with yourself and take a chance on everybody else seeing you too. You're sitting there knowing, yep, that's me. I've been living outside that room for a long, long time. No wonder my temple's not exactly what it should be. No wonder I struggle to pray, have faith, witness and testify of God's goodness. No wonder I go through the struggles I go through. No wonder I've been praying for 20 years to get closer to God, and I don't feel any closer than I was then. I've never got behind that veil. Now here's, I'm going to give you a warning. Before, before you come up here, I want you to be serious. And here's why. It has nothing to do with me. But here's one thing I know about God. When you ask Him for more, James 4 and 8 says, if you come close to Him, He will come close to you. Okay? He, he takes it seriously. When you say, God, I want more of you, He takes that seriously. But when He comes, He brings all of His stuff with Him. Yeah, he brings healing, he brings blessing, he brings provision. But he also brings that light that shines and reveals and shows all things. And some of it you've been hiding for a long time because you didn't want to deal with it. I understand, I've been there. I'm not fussing at you. I'm, I'm talking to you because I'm one of you. But I may be the only person in this room that's going to say this morning, I need more of him. I can't exist on the other side of that veil. I've got too many unanswered prayers. I've got too much chaos in my family, inside of me. I don't see the prayer answers that I want to see. My faith life is kind of wishy and washy. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. This summer has really taken a toll on my, on my, my mental and spiritual health. I, the numbers are down and people dropping out of ministries and I've questioned God God are you done with me here are you done with me period I, I've, I've prayed and asked God for direction if you still want me to pastor if you still want me to pastor this church because I don't I don't want to be out of your will it's been hard on me and I realized I, I, need, I need more of his glory I need to know what he knows I need to see what he sees and the only way for me to do that is to get in that room and it is uncomfortable in there. I'm going to tell you, it is uncomfortable when you walk into that room because you have to learn how to walk by faith. There's no outside light in that room. No light coming through the window. No menorah. You have to depend on Him. That's why Paul said, we walk by faith, not by... When you're in there, you're calling things that are not 
as though they already are and you're coming out saying well it must be done because I said it was done and I believe that he's going to do it even though I can't see it so I wonder if there's anybody in this room that wants to come to this altar this morning and just listen you don't need me my prayer team's going to come and pray with you but you don't really even need them the one that you need is already waiting on you Is there anybody that says, I've got to get behind that veil? My family depends on me getting behind that veil. My my salvation might depend on getting behind that veil. My, My mental stability depends on me getting behind that veil. I need more. Jesus, I need more of you. I need your glory in my life. I need you to be real to me. I need you to make this confusion and chaos lay down. Steal my mind. Strengthen my heart. Lord, give me direction. Maybe some of you in this altar right now is praying, God, just give me direction. Speak to me. Get behind that veil. He'll he'll reveal things to you. He will reveal His will to you. You press in behind that veil. God, I need your direction. That's what I'm up here for. So you'll show me. I can't raise these kids without you, God. I can't keep this marriage together without you. I can't handle this position at work without you. I can't keep these bills paid. Show me how to do it. Let me behind the veil. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of walking in darkness. Show me your light. Illuminate it. Shed you